everybody, Brendan here again before we jump in. Just wanted to let you know there are two books. One has been released, uh, Cold Call, like a comedian currently available on Amazon. Getting great five-star reviews. You guys should check it out. Uh, number one in its category for uh, humor and entertainment reads under two hours. So uh, I don't know how entertaining it actually is. But apparently other people think so. Uh, it's been downloaded hundreds of times already, even though it's only been out for a little over a week. So I would uh, encourage you guys to go check it out. Link in the comments. Also, I'm co-writing and publishing a book with William Petit III, uh, comedian and uh, an all-around interesting dude. We uh, talk about in this book called The Power Bible how I overcame being homeless for a little while in my life, uh, got back, paid off my debt, and he overcame drug addiction and all the lessons we learned along the way. Check out the sign-up for early release and getting the first chapter free, forward written by James Altucher, New York Times bestselling writer. I'm really looking forward to that book coming out, and I hope you guys are too. Please check it out. Anyway, with no further ado, let's get to the episode today. I talked to my longtime friend, really amazing, interesting man from a family of show business and running uh, a landmark of comedy in the United States, Mr. Mark Ridley. The madness continues! Welcome to the Madness Continues podcast where we talk to economists, entrepreneurs, comedians, porn stars, feminists, and people of all kinds. Uh, every day I just try to break down what we're doing, why I'm here, and if I can make sense of this life. Yeah, I didn't realize that your whole, so much of your family was in um, yeah. show business. I used to say there's a cover charge to come to one of our family reunions. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't have to wear those the whole time if yeah. you don't want to, but yeah. this is, I uh, just want to make sure that we get this properly set up here yeah. for the sound. Uh, here we go. Mark Ridley, welcome to the Madness Continues podcast, man. Well, thank you, Brendan. Appreciate it. I um, I was really excited to come down here and uh, get back and, and sit down with you, man. <laughs> I haven't actually had a conversation. We haven't had a conversation in a long time. I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's... Think about how I was giving you advice when you were 16 years old. I yeah, think. right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. I was like on stage. Yeah, yeah. I was doing... I Yeah, I, I, man... I was, uh, it's so weird to come back. I was just was talking to a friend of mine, like walking down the street, because I was like, man, it's so weird to come back to. I mean, and I was just here with, over the summer. Yeah, right. I, was, um, I, was, I, I wasn't here. No, then, you yeah. were watching from, uh, I got to your message, though, afterwards. You were yeah. like, that was a good, like, it's yeah. a good set. Yeah, I, I tend to watch all of the shows that I can on my computer. I have a dedicated, you know, cameras to, to watch the shows. So. Yeah, that's, uh, I, um, I was talking with, um, yeah, my friend, and I was like, it's so strange to come down here after, like, I'm like, man, it's been like 15 years of right. like coming to down to Ridley's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Same, <laughs> at the same location. But like yeah. what's crazy, though, is that before I even was coming down here. So like even before I was doing comedy here, um, I was a I was aware of the comedy castle. Right. Because right. my uncle, uh, as you know, is Joe Belaska. Right. And who for many years ran Joey's with his brother, Ed, before, yeah. you know, he moved out west and then they closed their doors and stuff. But yeah. like. But uh, I heard all about the Comedy Castle and all about like and my dad would tell story. My dad would tell stories about coming out here and like, I mean, before you were even this in this location. Yeah, I've only been in this location since 1991 is when we opened the doors here. But, yeah. And before that, I was in six different locations. So I started out producing shows at restaurants. Yeah. And then 
uh, got involved with some business partners, and we bought a restaurant on Woodward Avenue in Berkeley. So we were only there for five years. Yeah. Because as a restaurateur, I'm a very good comedy club owner. So <laughs> <laughs> when you have to lay off 40-some-odd people in one day because you can't, can't keep the kitchen open. Yeah, but, you know, it, you just <laughs> dedicate to what you know best. Yeah. Well, like, and you, so the thing, so, so I've, you know, I think people are in the world of comedy are aware that the Comedy Castle has, I mean, you, you're famous because it's the longest club run by a single owner in the United States, I believe. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, Mike Lacey is with the Comedy Magic Club. He's been open six months longer than me. What Really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. That... I opened in January of 79, and he opened in July of 78. Okay. that's am- All right. That's yeah. amazing. I didn't know And then know Bob that. Fisher uh, at the Ice House, he's been around a little yeah. longer than that. So. Okay, got it. Yeah. Well, you guys are in a small club then. Yeah, though. very small club. That's for sure. Yeah. And it's kind of a, it's amazing because that was before the boom, really. That was like. Yeah. I mean, when I opened my doors, uh, when I first started producing shows, it was because I had been to Los Angeles yeah. and had gone to the uh, comedy store where I got to see Pryor and Robin Williams and David Letterman had just moved out there. So, you know, that was going, what a great idea. So when I opened the club or started doing this, I, I was probably like it's somewhere between 12 and 15th club in the nation. Yeah. And at its peak, it got around, I think around 400. Yeah. The there was, I mean, in the eighties, there was clubs everywhere. I yeah. mean, you think about it, there was nothing really else to do. I think. Well, I mean, that's true, and it was prior to cable television, Yeah. Um, so seeing live comedy, which was very affordable. I mean, you know, we back then I was charging, I mean, I think about when I had Gary Shandling on my stage, and I have all my calendars from going back to when I first started bringing out-of-towners in. Yeah. Shandling was at my club for three nights for $400. Oh, my Bob God. Bob Saget was three nights for $500. Jeez. And the warm-up acts were like Dave Coulier, Tim Allen. Yeah. And, you know, so I had the the guys that were already on their way up. Yeah. Um, and the, so the, the good thing about, about it is that five nights a week channel on Channel 50, yeah. you, keep in mind you had two, four, seven, and nine. Yeah. And then you had Channel 50 and Channel 20. Yeah. And on Channel 50, they had Make Me Laugh five nights a week. So at least twice a month, I was getting a plug on national television yeah. at the Comedy Castle in uh, Michigan. Oh, so, my God, yeah. man. Channel 50 is a deep cut for Detroit people. That's yeah. like so funny. <laughs> I went on a, not to digress, but I went up to, I went to Prince Albert, uh, Saskatchewan right. a while ago. Right. And they play, for some reason, Detroit, like Metro Detroit TV. Really? Up there. Yeah. And wow. they knew all the references. Like, no I was kidding. like, Mel Far. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah Mel Far to the rescue. And like, <laughs> I'm like, Mr. Allen. They're like, two for, two for 50. Like, well, that was the trade off, I think, because we got to watch Channel 9 or CKLW yeah. back in the day. And I remember back in the early 70s watching Channel 9, again, all before cable. And seeing a topless woman, I went, "Wow, <laughs> <laughs> they're so liberal in Canada." <laughs> Canada, yeah, that's so funny. That was like you watch. I would know watching zero other channels. I yeah, exactly. Like, oh. I was, it was either hockey or just wait for the topless yeah, look, woman. <laughs> look around and see where my parents were. Like, yeah, yeah, that's so funny, man. You, uh, I mean, it's kind of cool. To, this was one of the cool things that it was my experience coming over the Comedy Castle. Was it was like, you know, when I was a kid. You come in here and and you know and then when I started doing comedy here in high school, it was so cool to come in and see all of the headshots. 
Yeah. From all of the comedians that yeah. had like been in all the signatures and everything. And like yeah. you talk about like Gary Shandling being here. I've, I've heard that story you tell of like you picked him up from the airport, I think, and like drove him. I mean, it wasn't in this room, but it no. was like, no, you know, right around here. Well, and, that, but that was that was my job. I mean, my job was yeah. to do everything necessary to make sure that everything worked. So if I if that meant going down to the airport each week to pick <laughs> them up. And then take them around to do radio. I mean, Dick Purton was was would have my comedians on almost every week. Yeah. And then eventually, I think we built up to like four, uh, four or five different terrestrial radio stations. Yeah. So I would do all the radio runs, and then on Sunday morning, I take them back to the airport. You would go pick up, and like the at like four in the morning, you yeah. were, you would go pick up. <laughs> yeah, I was I was I was doing it because I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. But I was also saving money. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so funny. You would go pick up. Like, cause I, I remember, so, uh, you know, the, the documentary that be funny, I remember you were, I think you picked up Titus from the airport. Yeah, in Titus from the, uh, well, that's a hotel. That yeah. was a hotel. Okay. Got it. Um, but Jay Leno, I picked up from the airport and took him back. I mean, they're, you know, Jerry Seinfeld I mean, you name it. I, they used to ride so, in my car. That's so funny. <laughs> my dad would talk about when he was coming out to the comedy castle, you used to run the open mic night even like yeah. when it was when you originally had it. Yep, yep. And he goes like, and he's like, Mark would always do the same thing. He would get up on stage when somebody bombed and he would be like, remember comedy's not as easy <laughs> as like X person makes it look. I also just thought it was so funny, man. It's a, yeah. so like the thing that I love, about coming in here was that it always felt like you like you really were walking into like a almost like a temple or something like there was something like quasi and maybe this isn't true for you but like for me this was kind of like the case is i felt like it was like quasi religious where you're like coming into this like i'm like oh my god all the people i love and respect all these guys who like have these thoughts that i've listened to on on originally on my dad's like 45 records right and then like right. you know tapes and cds and stuff they're all they're all, this is the stage that they yeah. like have been on and all this stuff well i mean you know listen when dick gregory is alive i mean when i had the opportunity to book dick gregory there was somebody that i really loved and respected as a kid yeah and i'll be 69 this month so you can i was listening to the dick gregory back when i was maybe 15 yeah. 16 years old <laughs> So I knew who he was, and I just couldn't wait to meet him. And yeah. I had him here not once, but twice. And I was yeah. going to book him a third time, but then he went and passed away. But, yeah. you know, so it, it, and then same with Soupy Sales, uh, David oh, man, Brenner, Soupy. Gabe yeah. Kaplan. These were all people. My dad that had a Soupy, he had a Soupy Sales VHS tape that I yeah. must have watched so many times right. that I like wore it out right. when I was a kid. Right. And he's like, yeah, I'm thinking about, uh, I'm thinking about giving up. Uh, being a nudist, but I think I'll stick it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the double entendre. Oh, dude, yeah. he just had like, yeah, all these yeah. like one-liners. Yep. And yeah. it's funny now because I can't write a one-liner to save my life. But like, <laughs> I, I like none of them. I all my all my stuff I think is like mostly story-based now. But it's funny because that was like a huge. I remember that tape. I used to like watch it all the time. Right. So right. like, but like that's kind of it's amazing because you've had like this, uh, you know, this run and like all these, and even now, like I was in New York. Um, I mean, uh, we'll get to, uh, I'll get finished lauding you in a moment, but no. <laughs> uh, oh, even, please don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, happy seventy. There's sixty ninth, uh, yeah. Mark. Um, so no, I uh, what I was I was gonna say is uh, I was even in New York. I saw Mike Costa recently. I was doing yeah. a show with him. Yeah. And it was uh, uh, Dave Landau also. Right. And um, just a handful of other guys who I, I saw my uh, Jeff Arcuri uh, was in New yeah. York and uh, just yeah. saw those guys. And I was mentioned I was coming back and, and all that stuff. And people were like, oh, shit. Yeah, man. Yeah. So it's like you kind of it's just cool that you have such a great, you know, uh, you've had such a great experience, I think, 
bringing a cross section of comedy to Metro Detroit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's you know, I'm always willing to look at. I, I look at everything as being. I look at it from being an audience member. Yeah. So when when I'm watching a show now, I move a little closer because of my eyesight. But I used to <laughs> sit, sit in the very back of the room. And then watch the rest of the audience. So I'd be part of the audience, yeah. even though I'm a club owner and booker, because I want to get that same feeling. Yeah. You know, I remember what joy I used to have listening to records, Don Rickles, Bob Newhart, Bill Cosby. And now I can sit in my club and sit in the back and, and laugh along with everybody else. Yeah, I remember you would stand near the door and yeah. I always be like yeah. I always be like, Where's the laugh coming from? Yeah. Is, it, <laughs> is it Mark? Uh I feel like really good when you get off stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, cool, man. I, so what got you, so I'm curious because I've heard you tell the story a little bit, but I don't want to, I don't want to rehash bits that you've done elsewhere, but I'm curious because what, what was the impetus to actually, to be like, I'm going to try to bring comics out here. Was it like, it it was as simple as being in Los Angeles, trying to get into the assistant director's school and not getting in. But while I was there, I would go to the comedy store and the improv every night. I was staying out in Redondo Beach with my ex-sister-in-laws and her husband, and I didn't want to just hang around at night, so I would go down and, and watch all these acts. And like I said, I got to see some of the most famous acts in comedy. Yeah, in 79, that was the probably the— No, it was before that. I, this was 77. 77. So yeah. this was—you this was you had—I'm uh, trying to think. It was Robin Williams probably coming up around Robin a lot. Williams, uh, Richard Pryor, I actually saw, and he did a surprise guest. Jimmy Walker, night. probably. Jimmy Walker— <laughs> I sat in the front row in the original room at uh, the, the comedy store, and I was a smoker then. And he said, I can't believe one of my audience members is blowing smoke up here on stage. Well, that was me. <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, I got to be part of Jimmy's act. But there were, yeah, there were quite a few. And then I would go back. Every time I went back, and keep in mind, when, when I started the club, I, I mean, I came back to Michigan. I had to work as a waiter. And as a stagehand, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was one of those college students that crammed four years into nine, so I finished college. We have that in common. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and then I just, but the idea was always in the back of my mind. But I, I couldn't shake the comedy club feeling. And then, fortunately, I had a, a former boss who, you know, was open to my idea. And originally, we were supposed to open in downtown Birmingham. And it opened okay, up restaurants. And at the last, in the 11th hour, literally, the city of Birmingham said that because stand-up comedy is, it falls in the same category, it's a cabaret license, if comedy doesn't work, you can turn it into a strip club. What? Like, that's something this particular <laughs> owner and I would want to do, you know. And he had numerous restaurants. He wouldn't want to do that. So we moved it out to his other restaurant well, in West Because so, that's what, okay, so one of the things, so one of the things that I'm fascinated to hear about is that there was no, there I mean, I I guess this is a question I'm trying to ask. Like one of my other projects is this funny planet thing that I've been working on, yeah. which is I've been you go know, to Iceland, we go around the world. One of, when I I went to France in 2013, this is the year just after the first comedy club had ever opened in the country okay. of France. It opened in Paris in 2012. And the thing that I found super fascinating about that was that stand-up comedy was a totally new art form to these people. Really? That they they hadn't really, they had, in French, they would call it le one-man show. Okay. Tu fais le one-man show, Brendan? Right. I'm like, no, je fais like comédie. Okay. Je suis un stand-up comic. And it was, it was very interesting to me because they had no etiquette for understanding what co- stand-up was. 
Like the, the uh, expats knew what it was. Right. Pardon me. I fucking forgot my stupid uh, <laughs> you know, windscreen. windscreen. Yeah. I know, this, so like, <laughs> the peas are popping so hard. But they didn't have any. Uh, the expats knew what it was. So all yeah. these Australians and Canadians and British and Americans, sure. they all understood what. So if you had an audience of mixed people yeah. um, from different countries, it, it was fine. But if you did any comedy in front of predominantly French audiences, they didn't really. They would kind of clap and, and rather than laugh. Right. And they would and they would enjoy the show, but it was just a different sense of etiquette. And yeah. it's fascinating to me to understand what it must have been like to try to open a, a club and run the club. During a time when there was not a lot, of, I, th- I think people in the '70s probably understood what stand-up was, especially like this oh yeah, right yeah. after so, you know, like Carlin's album was released and Jimmy Walker's album and Cosby's albums and right. these things. But most people probably had never really been to a comedy club. No, no, and and, and I was in a ninety-seat room. Yeah. Um. So it was it filled up fast every night. We were only we opened Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and it was basically open mic every night. Oh boy. So I'd run the same nine comedians. I did that for six weeks. Oh my god. And then Mike Binder, who now is an yeah. actor, director, trying to get him on the pod, man. Yeah. He he was my first headliner. He reached out to me, and I didn't think anything about selling you know tickets or taking reservations but 500 people showed up to try and get into a 90 seat room yeah there were people staying out in the rain yelling oh my god you know that they couldn't get into the club yeah so it was just like from there just sort of took off i knew so mike was mike mike was in la probably he was in la right but he came back to detroit to do the show right right i mean at that time bob talbert was writing columns for the free press and um you know i mean uh, Dick Purton, J.P. McCarthy, so the, the big media giants were really plugging the club. I got a lot of help from all of them. Yeah. And then Mike, when he said he was coming in to perform, Bob Talbert did a full column on him. Oh, wow. And be- he was called Kid Comedy out yeah. in Los Angeles. because he was a big deal, even then. Yeah. Like, he oh, was yeah. A big... He was 18 years old doing stand-up with all these <sighs> older guys. It, man. You know? <laughs> I fucking dude. Why did I go to college? I know. <laughs> I, like, I should have just gone. I should have taken the mic uh, binder route. I, I think that, I think that, that that's, that's good that you did that because it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know. You know <laughs> I mean, a good point. I just hear all these old, the greatest thing, one of the cool things about hanging out at, when I first ever went to, uh, the comedy store yeah one of the cool things about it was everybody who hangs out there who had been coming for a while has always heard stories and in the stories from like guys back in the 70s mike Biner's always like a member of the background of the story well he is doing that documentary now about the history of the comedy yeah yeah it's going to take him some time because he's also doing a feature film and and in between so he's a very busy man if anybody (laughs) listening to this podcast uh doesn't know who Mike Binder is, go watch Minority Report. He's the pedophile. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. He directed The Upside of Anger with... Um, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Yeah, and Adam Sandler. And, and, yeah. Indian Summer, that's what he was famous for. When yeah. I was a kid, we watched that movie like yeah. all the time. Coupe de Ville was his very first film, and I read the script. He showed me the script before yeah. he even submitted it. And I thought it was a cool film. And um, he was a young, struggling actor. Dude, I know. Back <laughs> in the day, right? Comedian. Yep. Uh, so what? So how did you, I'm curious, how did you cultivate the relationships with the media people in Detroit then at that, when you were just kind of... Cold calling? Really? Just all I did. Just cold calling. And then um, Chuck Thurston was the old, um, well, he, he was old then, 
but he was the <laughs> theater critic and you know live entertainment reviewer for the Free Press. This is back when you know newspapers were yeah. putting reporters on. Yeah, you have any. So Chuck would come in and review the shows every Thursday night and be in Friday morning's paper. Yeah, about how you should go see this person because. Or, these, but at the time, these were all regularly open, like more or less open. Like no, no, it's when I started bringing the headlines. Got it. In. Okay, and then got it. Got Chuck. It retired and chip vichy who's now i think a full-time editor down in florida chip became like the next guy in line to come and do, review the shows yeah. and that just that went on for at least 10 years wow so every friday morning there'd be a review well it didn't go on consistently every week but for the, you know the better part of a year it'd be in there so it's, and that really helped so and it was really like uh, just a lot of hustle basically you were just That's kind all of messaging yeah that's amazing. I was my own social media. <laughs> <laughs> Before any social media existed. Before I, I didn't even know what social media was, and I was doing it. <laughs> they were just, we're, because I, this is, I guess, what I'm trying to wrap my head around, is like, uh, they, and I'm sorry to like keep hammering this, but it's just so fascinating to me because there's this whole, no one, there was no comedy clubs in the whole area. And like, no. so you open up one. And you're messaging people. Were people excited? Was like these guys like excited, or were there like what kind of what was the nature of the conversations you were having with, you know, when you try to get like Dick Burton, for example, who? Well, Dick's. If you remember, Dick's show was already geared towards comedy. Oh yeah. So when I explained the stand up of stand up comedy, they thought that was a great thing. Dick had been been you know an MC at High Knob and all these other places for years prior to me opening the club. So he was excited to see that. And, he, you know, he was excited as I kept bringing new comedians on, like Richard Jenny and Jeff Foxworthy, Dennis Wolfberg, Tim oh, yeah. Allen. Every week it added, you know, substance and programming to his show, and it gave me an hour of free advertising. So, yeah. you know, um, you know they, they all pretty much understood what it was. They, they were, you know, we're, they're pretty sophisticated from that standpoint. Yeah, yeah. This is like, it's just fascinating to me to to to. To think. Oh, speaking of Dick Burton, there's his book like right over there. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. He's a for people listening. He's a local Detroit, and he's like, f- I mean, majorly famous in Detroit. Two like, Marconi Awards for uh, for radio, which yeah. is huge. Like it's like the Oscars for radio. Yeah, yeah, and he's a big. I mean, he's a hilarious, dude. He. Uh, I think I owe really a lot of what I have. I, t- I we do a big thing every year for the Salvation Army Bed and Bread Program, which is part you know Dick's baby. Yeah. And Gene Taylor, when Gene was alive, uh, got me involved with it. And I tell Dick every year, I said, if it wasn't for you, I don't think there'd be a comedy castle. Yeah. Because, you know, every time I, things are, there'd be a slump, I'd be lucky enough to get somebody on the air. And then you see it go like that again. Oh, it's my just, gosh. You know, up and down. Well, know? how much so how much of that time? Because, I mean, this, you know, so we're, you know, it's the 40th year of the comedy castle sort of running. Basically. 41 in January. Yeah. 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 It's 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 it's. It's uh, you know it's it's amazing to be part of the to to feel like I'm part of the story actually it's like really it feels really good because I this place is amazing like I told you it's like a it feels like a sure. like a temple when I would be coming <laughs> here or something but um just it, leave your offering in the jar on the way out so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pass the, the basket okay <laughs> yeah that's so funny somebody should found a religion based on comedy <laughs> based really, on comedy if there could be one based on bullshit like Scientology yeah, it really exactly. feels like there could be one based on comedy um this has many of the same I mean people would talk about like seeing Chappelle is like a quasi religious experience it feels like or like people would talk yeah. about seeing Prior yeah was the same kind of thing as like they walk out of the room and be like, shit, we just went through something. Oh, like, I, I mean, I, I can think about one night, well, two different times. Um, again, seeing prior to a surprise performance, I thought was just, you know, to me, that was like, wow. Yeah. You know, I paid this to get in and I get to see Richard Pryor. Yeah. Um, same with Robin Williams. 
And and then um, also uh, Sam Kennison. Oh yeah, I got to see. I mean, talk about religious. He was a, a he was a, a preacher. preacher. Yeah. yeah, Sam Kennison in the original room at the Comedy Store one night just bring the place to its knees. I mean, just you know. And then I went back the very next night. He did almost the same act, and you could hear a career fail. <laughs> it was so quiet in there. Oh man! And uh, then I took my son, my older son Ryan. Uh, a few years ago, I said, let's just go to the comedy store. You know, you're not that far away. And he goes, all right, all right, well, drag me down there. Okay, so and I, I saw a few people that I recognized their names, and all of a sudden, here's a guy just getting back into doing stand-up, and it was Martin Lawrence. Oh, my God. So that was just a yeah. nice surprise, you know? Yeah, so, I, well, it's funny, man, because um, people were – I was talking with some people a while ago. Like, when you talk to non-comics, uh, which I don't recommend – um, mm-hmm. but when you talk to non-comics, sometimes they're like, man, aren't you afraid you're going to bomb sometime? And you're like, oh no, that's going to happen. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's just a matter. I, when I, the first time I bombed was on stage here. Yeah. I was 17 years old and it, I almost didn't do comedy for another, I think it took me like f- six months to get yeah. back on stage. Like, it, it, it is devastating. I mean, I would much rather be at this end of the business than at the comedian <laughs> in the business. I mean, for well, no, seriously, for a long time, I thought, do I want to do this? I want, do I want to be a stand up? You know, I really did. But then I had new. I realized I have a wife. I had a young son. I better be a little more responsible. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's really funny. You know, but, you know, it's it's to do to try and come up with new material. I mean, I admire people like Leno and Seinfeld. These people are constantly right. Yeah. Because because of stand up and because only in a club, I got to experience television i produced a show and yeah. won an emmy for it right yeah. there and then bang sitting I, uh, sitting right over there yeah 1991 i was on radio as a co-host for a year yeah and that's you really have to think for a four-hour period i mean you have to you're part of the show so you're coming up with stuff off the top of your head off the top of your dome man yeah so i think that would probably be fun that would i feel like that'd be fun for me it's, I just would be afraid of what I would say. Well, and then that's <laughs> what I had to worry about. But then again, I was, you know, at that time I was 40 years old and the demographics for the stations, I think was the ages 12 to 13. So <laughs> <laughs> I was the old guy at all the personal appearances. Oh appearances, my God, so. so funny. But no, it was, it was a good experience and it allowed me to discover. It's why I tell comedians now, don't, you know, don't limit yourself just to stand up. Look oh, yeah. at all the other options, writing, you know, radio. Well, radio's hard now. But well, but this, you know, podcast. Podcast, like this kind of, this yeah. Kind of shit. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I think it's funny because I was just thinking this on the way here is I was like, man, I just really mostly just want to be in front of audiences on stages. I feel like that's where, you know, like Billy Crystal talked about this in his book where he was like, that's the juice. Is like when you, he, he, so I got his Billy Crystal's audio book um, about him turning 70, I think, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really, I mean, it's a hilarious book, but most of it, it's an audio book he read in front of a live audience. Right. And it was super interesting to listen to because he explains at the beginning of the book, like, what it is. And I think there's something about that, like, there's a lot of, the, the thing about doing comedy or, or being a comic is, like, there's so many aspects to the business right. that you have to be involved with pay attention to you have to network all the time you got to like all the time yeah you got to you guys to be producing shit all the time well there's a reason they call it show business yeah i mean you know um good example is i used to have an apartment i kept the comedians in in the early 80s in birmingham and i would go to pick i'd go to pick them up for radio and like jerry seinfeld for instance there's his notebook on the kitchen table and i said what's your routine during the day he goes i get up I meditate, I exercise, I read, and then I write. 
Yeah. It's the same exact format every single day, seven days a week. Yeah. And but through that discipline, you know, he had an agent taking care of him. But because of that discipline, just think if you had to start sitting down and making phone calls and trying to, no internet then. Oh, my God. Making man. phone calls, trying to get a booker on the phone oh and my God. leaving messages. And that's what would happen to me. I'd worked out of my house and be there's an office phone and that thing would be ringing all day long. Oh yeah. You know. So people would be asking you for would people how would it work back then? Cuz I think now, you know, it's weird because I think there's two aspects to the business as a comedian now. There's so age if you have an agent or a manager, there's a whole world of that. Yes. And then there's this whole world of you have to constantly hustle for yourself. I mean even even now like I think about this like you know I just I talked with Ari Eldjarn earlier today. He's a um Icelandic comedian and the guy's career he has like the perfect I was so mad listening to him on the phone because he's like he's like oh, I've been doing comedy you know almost 10 years I, I, I start this famous show it becomes famous in Iceland because it's a small community right I go over to I was invited to go over to Scandinavia I do comedy there then I was invited to do the Edinburgh Fringe mm-hmm. uh, the Scotsman does a good report on me suddenly I have a uh, Mark Perrin or Mick pardon me Mick Perrin and he's like, oh, fuck, sorry, sorry, Mick. <laughs> he's like, oh, Mick Perrin. Now I'm doing shows all over the world. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, yeah, but that's that's <laughs> just that's the nature of this business. You just never know when that good bolt of lightning is going to strike you. you. Yeah, I mean, I, the the best comparison I have is that Tim Allen. Yeah, he paid his dues, you know, but he found a niche that just really worked and it resonated with the audience. You know, with the men are pigs, blah blah blah, and funny. Yeah, but. Then you have somebody like Richard Jenny, along you know, who since has since committed suicide. But Richard had five HBO specials. You oh, yeah. put him on stage, and he could stand there and not do the same hour twice. Yeah, you know, it just he was just phenomenal. And you and you know, I mean, comedian to comedian, he stood head and shoulders above every other comedian at that time. Yeah, but there was that demon that ate away at him. That yeah. you know. Why am I? He he was racked with self doubt. Yeah. What do you think? I just want. I, so in the, in your career, you've witnessed a lot of. I guess like part of the maybe the like co, the like core question sort of that part of this is like, I wonder why. And it's something that I've you know for myself like I've been doing stand up comedy since you know for more than half my life right. now. And you know, and I I guess I've for myself I've gotten to a point where I've thought, I just have I I do I am doing I do this for fun and I do it for. You know, to as a creative outlet, and I'm trying to have a, I'm trying to produce stuff and doing more mm-hmm. of that, and like focus on it and learn the business aspects of it. Have this whole thing to it, but like I've kind of resigned myself to being like it's going to be whatever it is, and I'm cool with that. I like who I am. I like what I do. Well, I think that you're you're uh, smart enough to know too that you're a networker, yeah, and that's important. I mean, my just to give you an example because it's personal. My older son Ryan. He did stand up in Michigan under the name of Ryan Matthews, yeah. not using Ridley because he didn't want people to think that I was favoring him or, yeah. you know, oh, your dad owns a comedy club, that yeah. kind of thing. Then he moved to Chicago, and that's when he really started networking, you yeah, know, yeah. talking to other comedians, T.J. Miller. Um, there's T.J., several. who's going to be here soon. He's going to be here, yeah. And and so by networking, he I think he really became – a better, uh, better industry person because when he got to yeah. L.A., that whole class moved to L.A. Then he hooked in with Dan Harmon and he started doing, um, oh yeah, you know, uh, the Channel One Hundred One, which led to. I just had Matt Koff from Channel yeah. One Hundred One on, yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, so I mean, those yeah. kind of things, as you 
I mean, I know another guy, Mark Sandrowski, we're friends with Dave Couillet. They grew up together, and Mark moved to L.A. the same time as Dave. Yeah. Worked in the studio. He he did it. He swept floors, whatever it took to work at the studio. Yeah. And then he became the one and only director of The Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah. He's been with it the entire run. Oh, so, yeah, man. You know, it just making depends. That, making depends. that Big Bang right. Theory money. Yeah. Just <laughs> depends on how much you network and how you impress. And my other son, Adam, does the same thing. He's yeah, yeah. always meeting people because- you never know who you're meeting. Yeah, you know, you, 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 that one person. That's true. You 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 might think that they're a schlub or you, you can ignore them, but yeah, who knows where people are going to turn around? That's it. It's, it's uh, there's something about I think that I, there's something about I guess that was kind of the implicit question is like there's you know you've seen enough you've seen so many different people I think come you know come through here in, in different ways and comedies like you wonder why why does somebody like you know like you were saying like Richard Jenny is like a good example is like. There's some some people who, you know, you just wonder why they resonate in the way they do with who, whenever. Or like Mark Maron's a good example yeah. because a guy who, for the predominant amount of his career, really struggled to get anything going. Absolutely. And then yeah. now, like, had something catch on. And it's, it's fascinating to me because I think it doesn't – it's like a – actually, not to switch gears, but I think, like, you know, the band No Doubt's another example where, like mm-hmm. – their second album really takes off. Then all these people go back and rediscover the first album. You wonder like, what was it about any of these like cultural moments that caused people? Do you ever like, from your perspective, do you ever see comics where you're like, this is, this is, what is your, I guess what's your feeling? Do you think like some people have a time or don't have a time or like, what do you, you know, maybe that's a deep question, but I'm just curious. It it is a deep question and it's one that I could never answer. I, I (laughs) no, I'm serious. I mean, I'd like to say, there are times I and I not, I'm not going to. When name am I going to be famous, Mark? No. Well, I, there are, I, I don't want to name names, but I look at people and I go, "Why isn't that person bigger than that person over yeah, there?" Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I don't understand the nature of the business, and I still don't. Yeah. Um, there are so many people. I remember Dave telling me that Dave Couillet, uh, he had moved to L.A., lived in the dorm at UCLA for the first year he was out there, first summer. Yeah. And then right away. Right away, he got a uh, a role, an audition for a TV show. Yeah, and it was all a go. He was excited about. It. He was only twenty years old. Yeah, and two or three weeks before they started filming, they fired him because they thought he looked too young. Wow! And he would have had the role opposite Tom Hanks in Bosom Buddies. Oh my gosh! And Peter Scolari got it. So, <laughs> oh my gosh! But you know that was the kind of that Dave said. There was no bitterness. He yeah. doesn't, you know, look, the guy's had a great career, Full House, Fuller House. Yeah. Right at the same time, he was going out because he did voices. He got involved in doing the voiceover work, a yeah. lot of cartoons. So he was making a great living right from the get-go. Yeah. And then Full House, when that took off, 1985 or 86, something like that, that's been 30-some-odd years. Yeah, and he's like know? been, yeah. I Well, I think Dave's probably a good example also. he's my. I remember my dad talking about how nice of a guy he was. Great guy. how he was. Yep constantly just it was like and i could see how a, a knock like that would probably hit him and he'd probably be like it's it'll we'll work it out and there are so many people you know that you think about margaret cho was another example that was somebody who got too much too fast there you with go. All american girl yeah and had to go regroup and kind of like find her own voice and reinvent herself yeah and she, which she's kind of basically gone and done and like yeah. she's been in the production side of a whole bunch of different things absolutely. lately absolutely yeah. Like, but that's, I guess that's what I'm saying is it's like, it's funny to me because y- you wonder why anything happens or doesn't happen. And like, yeah. cause I think I, the way that I look at, com- I mean, like, you know, Bert Haas says it like the Bert Haas from Zany says mm-hmm. it like this. Um, he's like, there's, we're in the business of entertainment, but sometimes that entertainment becomes art. And I think that 
the way that I look at it is you're on a quest to kind of create something or find something or there's some kind of like you're working your way around something. You right. know what I mean? Right. I don't know if anybody can tell that from, from my act. <laughs> I think mostly lately they think, wow, this guy's really mad. Well, I mean, and then, you know, you might go along in a certain pace or a certain level at stand-up and then all of a sudden there might be a producer in the audience at a show one night going wait a minute this is something i think we might be able to turn into a boom X, series yeah, xyz or xyz exactly and so that's why i i mean i really i do emphasize to stand-ups don't don't i mean it's great that you're doing stand-up but yeah. don't be opposed to taking any other position involved with the entertainment business I have, a, I have a brother who's 61 who's been an actor since he was a kid. I mean, yeah. in high school on. And just the other night we were talking about it. Somebody told him, aren't you kind of mad that you've never made it? And he goes, <laughs> wait a minute, I'm 61 what? years old. <laughs> and, he, and he said, I've made it. In my mind, I'm still doing what oh I've always God, wanted to so do. Oh, funny. Yeah. Yeah, welcome to questions and never ask performers. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I don't think, I think if somebody, I always, <laughs> I feel like if somebody ever asked me that question, I might clock them. Yeah. So well, just like <laughs> you just sort of smile and go, okay. And then, yeah. you know, you got it. You got your job. I've got mine. Who should be like, what do you do for a living? Aren't you mad? You're not CEO. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, there are people that think oh, like man. my job is the greatest job in the world. And yeah. I said, all right, I've been, you know, I've had my foot in bankruptcy court twice. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had uh, I've had to deal with all the issues of last minute cancellations and uh, two divorces and everything else. And so, you know, it's it's the grass is greener syndrome. Well, I mean, you know? there's, there's something true about that, I guess. I think that for me, it feels like there's there's a, some kernel in that which stand up has taught me, I think, over my life, which is that. You're just you're guaranteed that you're gonna sooner or later you're gonna bomb sooner or later some some shit is gonna suck. Sooner or later you're gonna you're gonna drive four hours to a gig and find (laughs) out you were canceled for that night. Oh boy! And and you have no money to pay a hotel for a hotel, so you have to sleep in your car. Oh my god, dude! And I've heard those stories more than once. Yeah, where am I? (laughs) And you're like, I'm in Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. That's what I mean. There's there's all kinds of horror stories out there. Oh my god! I remember I'm in La Crosse, Wisconsin. (laughs) Jill Washburn, who was the traffic reporter on WDIV. The good inc- good example is that a lot of clubs used to buy houses yeah. uh, or condos, and the comedians all have to stay in the condo. All the opener, the middle, and the headliner. Yeah. Of course, headliner gets bedroom by himself. Then the opener in the middle have to share a room or whatever, and she's the, f- the only female with two really piggish male comics. Oh, no. And so she's crying in the bathroom trying to talk to her husband about, here I am in Texas, and I just want to come home. And he goes, well, you took a job. you got to finish it. You yeah. Know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So she just went out and slept in her car every night. Oh, my God. You know? This so poor woman. You hear all those horror stories. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, okay, so hold on a second. So you mentioned uh, opener feature headliner. Now, ru- rumor has it you invented that lineup, that yeah. that system. Yeah. Did you actually? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's the that's like the way cl- most clubs, that's the way they do it. Uh, up until, and Mike Binder verified it. He was the one that told me about it. He said, you know what, we were talking about it in at the comedy store someplace one night. And, uh-huh. and we started talking about who came up with the three-comedian format. And Binder said, when I first worked Ridley's Club in 1979, he was the MC. He had somebody else being in the middle, and then I headlined. And everybody said that must have been where it started. Then, wow. because all the other clubs, there were all the other clubs, the other twelve clubs, you walked in at seven thirty or eight o'clock, and then the show would just run continuously until they, you know, to last call. Yeah, they would just it was a showcase. Yeah, they would just be grinding. I mean, I, out comics. 
So, you know, that was New York and L.A. Even Chicago did the same thing. So uh, I guess the rumor's true. Yeah. If I can claim nothing else, I can claim that. You should make, somebody <laughs> should make you a plaque, I think, for that. That's so funny, Mark. Uh, it's, uh, you, no, I think I heard, I forget who said that, but I was, I was thinking about it. I wanted to return to one of the things that, that you said, which was, I was in a, before I digress to have you answer the question of why I wasn't famous yet. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I was I was curious about why when you were because you were, how how much of that time, especially when you were starting out the club and running it, was it really like hand to mouth or how much of it was like because you were having a hustle? You were like you were saying you were maybe running a restaurant at the same time or running or had another job or like any of that stuff. Well, when the first the first time when. Okay, when I first opened the club, I kept on working as a waiter on the off nights because I wasn't really sure that the club was going to take off. That's so interesting. Then I, I remember the day I burned my apron and my weight pants and my weight shirt and my weight shoes, and I felt so great about that. Um, Do you actually burn them? I no. actually burned them in, Did my, you really? in my backyard in Ferndale. <laughs> I, with my first wife, I remember standing there just laughing hysterically. I'm <laughs> looking, I'm burning, get the burn, you sons of bitches. Having worked as a waiter for many years, I can appreciate oh, how yeah. cathartic yeah. that probably felt. It, it did. And then, then we ran into tough times when um, I moved into my third club, I think. Because I get into my second club, I got in a fight with the owner who tried to steal my, my name and my club business from me i was using his restaurant but you know he brought his attorney in and said uh we're, we don't need you anymore we're going to call this comedy castle well, oh my name god registered he couldn't do that so they called it comedy kingdom um and i comedy kingdom to, sounds so much lamer than well comedy, comedy kingdom tur- turned out to be as it turned out with my trademark attorney a colorful imitation of the name comedy oh, castle man you paid that so guy he had, he had to drop was worth off. every penny it was worth every penny i didn't have <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but there was a year that I that yeah. I that I didn't take a paycheck. I worked a full time day job even after starting the club to keep the club going, keep my life together. My I had two young sons by then, and um, my first wife was staying at home, raising them, and yeah. I had to work and make sure we had an income. How, so how how do you keep? How did you keep? I just think in that situation. How do you keep the faith of being like, I'm going to keep working on this thing. It's going to work out. Things are going to happen. Like, Why do singers keep on singing? Why do bands <laughs> keep on playing? Why do stand-ups keep doing stand-up? It's, it's, being a club owner was a passion to it's me. Like, it's like I'm asking that question into a mirror. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. No, I mean, it, it, it is. I, I've had these discussions with both my sons. You it know, just is like a thing that you felt like you had to keep doing. You have to keep doing it. My, yeah. my, you know, my current wife, my third one, uh, after her divorce, she relays the story to me about, you know, here she was with no child support, no nothing. And she just looked at these two little kids going, how am I going to survive? Yeah. She goes, I just get up. If I have to work they a shift at McDonald's, yeah. if I have to clean yards, I'll do that. And then she turned out to be a very successful interior designer. Yeah. So, you know, you, you just look at all your options. Yeah. And I told my older son that I, you know, he said, dad, I don't know if I ever want to keep, keep on writing. I said, well, look, I said, the option, the other option, I'm just giving you, I'm just throwing it out there. You can listen to this, Ryan. Take it for what it's worth. But, you know, they have a really good program at McDonald's where if you start working at McDonald's, you can work your way up to be a manager. And you have full benefits. Who knows? You could be a regional manager, all kinds of He said, Dad, I don't want to work at McDonald's. I said, well, then what do you want to do? He goes, I want to write, I guess. Yeah. And then a year later, he goes, you really tricked me on that one, didn't <laughs> That's you? That's so funny. <laughs> and I That's said, so good. look, you just have to explore. I, I, 
as much as I want to protect them and say, don't do this. Yeah. I look at my own family. My God, we're all, you know, most of my family's in the entertainment business. So yeah. you have to say, if you have a dream, follow your dream. Well, don't it's be not even, it's funny, man, because it's not even like, I think about this all the time and it's not even a, a dream isn't even the right way to put it because there's all these, I've talked to people before who were like, Oh, well this is your dream. You're going to have your dream. And I'm like, I, I it's more like a need that I have deep inside yeah. of me yeah. to be like, yeah. and it doesn't make any rational sense sometimes because I'm like, I'm doing, so I did Edinburgh two years ago, the fringe, yeah. and I'm doing it again this coming year. Okay. And I've got, um, I've got all these projects lined up that I want to shoot. I want to do, um, and this is letting all the listeners know this for the first time. So just stay tuned for whenever this comes out. But I want to do, a stand-up comedy special, whatever you want to call it, of yeah. me doing stand-up on the Owl in Chicago. Okay, it's just me with a portable, telling jokes to car trains full, yeah, full of people who don't who are go, trying to go to work and they don't want to fucking right, hear it. Right, and right. I just think I'm like I get it's such an available idea. I have to do this. Like, well, you look back in the 1980s. In fact, I play golf with them down in Florida. I spend my time down in Florida during the winter. Al April was the very first comedian to do stand-up comedy on a plane. Yeah. What, they flew really? from Metro Airport to Cleveland. So oh as soon as they took off and got leveled off, he got up and did. Does, uh, he, he, have a, the, does he have a website? I got to talk to him about that. No, no. Al's, Al's 80 or 81 now. Perfect. So, I right. mean, you know, it's. <laughs> and We'll go down and wake him up. and <laughs> now, Great guy. He was an inventor who used to drive over from Jackson. Yeah. Do stand-up, do open mic for me, turn around and drive back to Jackson that night. Oh, my gosh. And I don't. If you looked, he had two Pontiac, two Pontiac Bonnevilles that he put close to a million miles on them. Oh, my God. Like 500,000 on, uh, yeah, just driving around the country doing oh, stand-up. That's amazing. He had a clothes bar in his back seat and yeah. everything. That's a true road trunk. comic. He was a true road comic. Yep, absolutely. Oh, oh my God, yep. man. Yeah, I just, I, it, for me, it feels like, uh, I've done a lot of soul surging on this, and it feels like, I just have, there's just shit I have to, it's like, it feels like I just got to do like, like, like this podcast, um, the, the, uh, there's my girlfriend said this to me the other day. She's like, why are you doing, I had a day where I was recording like five different episodes, like five episodes of this podcast. Yeah. I did two today, this one. And then I already, I knew I did yarn uh, earlier today. Right. And, um, you know, same thing is like, I'm planning on trying to go to do a tour of, uh, maybe Scandinavia based on a whole bunch of the yeah. talks I've had with those people. And same thing, moved to Paris for a while to do comedy in this, yeah. like, burgeoning comedy scene. It was all super fascinating to me, and it's almost like, I don't, you're like, why did you do any of that? It would be difficult for me to even explain it to somebody, but it's like, it no, just. No, I, I completely understand it. Yeah. I can really see the reason. I mean, you've taken the best, to me, the best of both worlds, traveling yeah. and stand-up. <laughs> and you're taking them out, and you're exploring. Yeah. <laughs> here, here are great unseen options. I don't care about performing for a talent coordinator for this show. Oh, I want yeah. to get out there and see the world and perform stand-up and maybe introduce to other parts of the world that yeah. have never seen it. Well, you know Tom Rhodes. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Tom, Tom was like that, Tom's right? like, well, Tom's like my mentor. And, yeah. like, I, uh, I, I, you know, he just released that album a while ago. Yeah. And I was talking with him about doing stand-up in Mongolia, where, yeah. like, he's like, there's one comedy show in the whole country. Yeah. And yeah. they do it in English. And, like, that's the thing that's amazing about this uh, Funny Planet project both the uh, the podcast that I'm doing that I'm going to be launching soon, uh, which I will, if you're a listener of this podcast, which you are because you're listening. <laughs> you're listening, um, right. You're going to hear a whole bunch of those episodes too. I'm going to repost them on this one. But um, it's just, it's fascinating to me because all of these comedy scenes have English 
a lot of them, they even though English is their second language, right? They do it in English anyway, right. right? And like it's it's fascinating because this this whole this is about ten years. Like Iceland's a good example. No one had really done what we consider stand up in the right. traditional sense right. earlier than about ten years ago. Yeah, like they started it, it off. And very quickly, there was a secondary English-speaking comedy scene that started. Same thing happened wow. in Paris. Same thing yeah. happened in Moscow. And all these, it's really fascinating to go and learn about it. And that doesn't even hold a candle to what's going on, like, in China or in Africa or, yeah. like, any of these other countries. It's really fascinating to explore. Well, here's what you got to do. Here's my thought. Getting good with Elon Musk. Yeah. Tell me you want to get on one of those space rides. And then go up, to <laughs> and, go up and be the first, first comic, comic in, in outer space. space. <laughs> Fuck this. Is, I could be the Felix Baumgartner of comedy. There you go. This is such a good goddamn idea. One of my buddies used to work for Tesla. He's probably got connections over there. Yeah. I should message him. Yeah, there you I go. I should be like, I'm actually going to do that, Mark. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> I'm actually going to take one out of your book, Cold Calling. I'm yeah. Cold Call Elon. Cold Call Elon. Yeah, I'm holding for Mr. Musk. <laughs> uh, no, I'm still holding. I know it's been three days. <laughs> But I'm still holding. I think that's really <laughs> funny that you used to do a lot of cold calling because literally my the way that I was made when after I moved to Chicago to start doing comedy, right. the way that I made money was by doing cold calling for sales during yeah. the day. Yeah. And I wrote a book about it. That's the one that's just on okay. Amazon, which the listeners are tired of hearing about. <laughs> but um, it's fascinating because I think that it really goes, there's something about the grind in comedy that like it just, it, it there's so many lessons that I think doing stand-up like teaches you. And one of them, and I'm sure you can see this in running a club is probably the same where it's just like, it's not about a set. It's about sets. It's about grinding. It's about mm -hmm. like, it's not about writing a joke. It's about writing jokes it's like Seinfeld with the notebook is right. like, you're waking up and writing all these jokes. Right. And so people, it's funny, like people who talk to me sometimes and be like, what should I, you know, I think about doing stand up?" And I'm like, well, you should do it, but don't just do it once. Go do yeah. it. Plan to do it for seven days in a row. I, I meet so many guys. I've always wanted to be a stand-up comic. I've always wanted to try your open mic night. And I go, how many times have you said that? Yeah. And they go, quite a few. I said, then just stop saying it and come yeah, and do it. Yeah, just go do it. Yeah. Just, I mean, because you won't know until you go out until yeah. you go out and do it. And and to me, this is one of the easiest places you can perform. I mean, oh, you yeah. can't just walk in and and start playing a, a guitar in front of some you know a bar. <laughs> They don't. Not that I know. There's maybe maybe one or two places like that in the country, but you know you have to establish yourself as a as a guitar player, singer, totally. and then you know. But you can do open mic here or yeah. any other comedy. Club and I would say this is like one of the best audiences to do it in front of. It's a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. tonight you know, this is the semifinals of the Detroit to L.A. comedy competition. Tomorrow night's open mic. We get between fifty and sixty people signing up for. 16 slots oh man and, he, and like a regular i didn't realize by the way how nice i had it when i started out because i think you gave me like carte blanche to get up here just about any time i wanted i feel like i i think in the whole in the whole year that i first started doing comedy when i was like 16 17 i think i i called almost every week and i think i only didn't get up like twice like in that whole entire there, first year. Yeah. yeah. Was I still making the schedule then? You must have been. I must I might have been. Yeah. I can't I have somebody else doing it now. As you can tell, I've I've learned to work smarter, not harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think about it. I was talking with um I was talking with my uncle a while ago. Uh I was talking with uh well, I had two uncles who were doing stand up comics. Yeah. I had you know, Michael McClure who, who yep. you remember. Yeah. And uh, who's the one who talked me into uh and I think talked Gilda into taking me as a student when right. I when I came. Right, in. exactly. Which I think is funny, and uh, I need to get her on the podcast and talk to her. Yeah. I'm still friends with her on Facebook, but um, but then uh, I was talking to uh, Joe Belaska, and 
it was just really funny where both of them were like, oh, you, nobody got on every week. Right. That's (laughs) true. They were like, you and nobody. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's true. And then when you think back to when I first started, I would be begging people to come on, please. I I literally would. Yeah. How did you even find those guys? Just because of Purton and and J.P. McCarthy and and Bob Talbert. and, And I had people auditioning for me over the phone <laughs> and i said you don't need to audition just come down and i'll put you up <laughs> i didn't give a damn how good or how bad anybody was yeah. I, just, I was just trying to launch the thing yeah i think i charged two dollars to get in oh my god that's so <laughs> funny and it was just on because there was nothing else going on at the bar at the time was there, that the whole... it was I, this, I was open thursday friday and saturday night so it was for about six or seven weeks of just open mic night Three nights a week. Oh my God! Every weekend. Think of how much stage time somebody. Yeah, there was had, a lot of gotten. stage, and and <laughs> and after I started going to the headliners and openers, it just kind of like wiped out those same those people that were doing it every week. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? Because by then I had to be more selective. Oh, I was yeah. the MC, yeah, and I had a headliner from out of town, so I only needed this middle for three nights. Oh yeah, you, know? you can't. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like you'd have to be. I mean, that's just the result of you know having to be have more exercise more discretion probably yeah. of all yeah. that. Yeah, that's just like, man, I think about somebody starting out back then and trying to get that much. They would have had so much stage time. Oh, yeah. To just absolutely. Gr- work on material. Yeah. And, just and and, you know, the credits I would be introducing a guy goes, this guy worked the loft in New York. What the hell is the loft? You People know, like don't even. That, yeah. There was no television <laughs> so credits. No, nothing. Yeah. You know, this, this person works at WXYZ during the day. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> that's their credits. Oh, my God, man. Now it's like they somebody I went to the show. <clears throat> they went to uh, a couple of different Excuse shows in, in New York that I did. And it, they brought me up and they're like, Sirius XM. And I was like, I guess that's a credit. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> you, you, you know, like, it's, everybody else now is like there's so many outlets to like get yeah. all these credits. Yeah. Fascinating, man. How yeah, it, it like. Is. Yep. How the business like functions. Um, you got to get go. We, we only got a few more minutes here to like, uh, to wrap up. Yeah. I, uh, I know we've got the, uh, the show starting here in a little bit and I want to make sure we get, you know, it out there, but, um, happy birthday, man. Uh, hey, thank you. And Appreciate I also thank you for, you know, putting me up when you did when I was uh, 16 years old. I think it, <laughs> I think it changed. I mean, it really changed the direction of my life. I wonder how I would, it, it's, it's funny to think about Mark because, when I was a kid, I remember my parents even told me they were like, "You were like set six and seven, and you were like, I want to be a stand-up comic." Right. And right. I was like, "Who the?" F-? When I think back on, I'm like, "What child thinks like?" <laughs> well, I, I I'll be honest with you, my my brother Frank. Yeah. He the one that's the actor, at six seven years old, he was dressing up and pretending he was this character that. You know, he made up a name for himself, and he would do these these little routines for us, and and it would just put us on the floor. Yeah. And he still. Out of all of us, we were just talking about this the other day. He cracks me up. Yeah. I mean, he said something as we're walking out the door. I'm going to say this <laughs> because it's such a, we're saying this is, shows you how warped our family is. And they're saying, here's my mother, almost 90 years old. And he goes, well, mom, goodbye. And he goes, I'm going to be going back to New York soon. And, and just remember, we all five of us were here. Remember, all five of us came out of your vagina. <laughs> <laughs> And he's the youngest one. Oh, my goes, God, that's so she funny. She starts laughing. He goes, well, not me. I walked out. <laughs> I fell out. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that gives you an idea. Literally, our that's family, so funny. It's, it's like we would always try and make my mom laugh. Yeah. My dad was the same way. My dad could make my mother laugh at a drop of a hat. Yeah. But now it's like my mom at almost 90 just enjoys 
laughing. Oh yeah. So Wait, I mean, never yeah. Lose that. What else the hell? I kind of feel like what the hell else is the point of doing anything? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if you're not having a good time doing it, exactly. What the hell? No, that's true. That's so funny. That yeah. reminds me of a joke that I wrote when I was living in Paris. I was talking about my sister. It was like totally different people. Like she lives in the she lives in Hillsdale. Yeah. She she married a, a chiropractor. They met on Christian Mingle. Okay. This is like the last. Yeah. I mean, it's like totally different right. people. Her and I are completely different. Yeah. And the joke on stage is I'm like, I'm. Like I'm very artsy. She's very religious. I'm very like uh, I moved to France. She's in Hillsdale. It's like we're two strangers who just happen to come out of the same vagina. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. So fucking <laughs> there ridiculous. You go. Well, dude, thank you so much, man. I really hey, appreciate you're it. You're welcome. And uh, you know, I hope, hope you know, forty more years of this comedy cast will be awesome too, man. <laughs> hey, I'll do it as long as I can. <laughs> be like when I, when I start booking the same headliner every week for fifty-two weeks. That's when I'm. That somebody's going to tell me to quit. <laughs> <laughs> you All lost right. your marbles, Mark. Oh, yeah. Mark Ridley, <laughs> thanks so much, man. Thank you, Brendan.